You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is WFHB Local News for Thursday, August 26, 2021. Later in the program, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County and WFHB. Today's topic is redistricting with guests Julia Vaughn of Common Cause and Sonia Learcamp of Indiana Citizens Redistricting Commission. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Robert Robertson reports on the new 4th Street parking garage, which opened up for use earlier this week. But first, Emily McCoy has this week's State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, August 26, 2021. I'm Emily McCoy. Last week, the United States released its census count conducted last year to the public. According to the census count, Bloomington lost roughly 1,200 people, dropping from a population of roughly 80,000 to 79,000. Mayor John Hamilton criticized the findings from the census stating that the numbers are inaccurate, citing evidence that the past few census results have seen Bloomington increase in population by roughly 6,000 people. As stated by Mayor Hamilton, a lower population count by the census would mean a loss of funds for the city. Quote, If we missed one out of 300 people in a census count, that could add up to $1 million of loss over 10 years. End quote. Mayor Hamilton points to the shutdown of Indiana University during the pandemic as the main cause for the inaccurate census results. Hamilton ended his address stating that the city of Bloomington is looking into appealing the results of the census. On Wednesday, Governor Eric Holcomb signed an executive order to create the Indiana Public Health Commission. The goal of the commission is to overview the current status of Indiana's public health system and administer appropriate changes to be brought at the 2023 legislative session. A large part of the commission's focus will be on how well Indiana's public health system handled the COVID-19 emergency and what adaptations are needed for the future public health emergencies. Governor Holcomb stated that, quote, we're simply trying to build the best state in the country, end quote. The commission will be held by former state senator Luke Kinley and former state health commissioner Dr. Judy Monroe. That's all for the State House Roundup. From WFHB News, I'm Emily McCoy. During their August 24th work session, 
the Monroe County Council discussed a report on county job descriptions and classifications. Councilmember Jeff McKim questioned Wagoner, Irwin, and Scheel, and Associates Senior Consultant Addie Rooker whether Monroe County should be scaling back its longevity system. Rooker replied that the incentive is great, but that reducing the cap from 49 years to 35 could free up money that the county can use elsewhere. I think it's a, it's a great program you have in place, so we're not recommending that you get rid of it. Um, we wanted to show you what, how you compare to some other counties. It's unique in the fact that it does go out to 49 years. Um, and if the council were looking for ways to fund employee salaries, this would be one option. You could either freeze or eliminate a longevity pay to use that money to make pay adjustments if you chose to. McKim commented on the importance of having an independent firm look at job classifications. County Council Margie Rice reiterated this importance. She said past county councils drop the ball and that this county council has an opportunity to set up a new system. The first way to treat employees is to be equitable and to be objective. And so I would encourage you, and again, I want to let you off the hook because this has happened over a period of about 16 years. I don't want any public uh, members, you know, tuning in and thinking that it's this configuration of the council that has been kind of haphazard. This has happened over a period of time, but you guys are going to get the opportunity to um, build a better system. Councilmember Trent Deckard warned against words without actions. He said it would be important to learn from the mistakes that previous county councils made in implementing WIS's plans. I also say this with a little bit of, uh, of heartburn that we've said that before. In fact, we've been, uh, it looks like we've said that since. 1991. I've not been here all that time, but it passed his prologue. Um, it sounds like it's easy to get into this mess again. And if we would go down this direction and figure out what we got to figure out, I think it's an important consideration to look at what does go wrong that prevents things from happening. The Monroe County Council meets for its first budget session on September 8th. The Monroe County Board of Commissioners met on Wednesday to authorize funding for various projects. Department heads updated the Board of Commissioners. Allison Moore, the Director of Emergency Management, had a timely PSA that cooling stations are up and running at local fire stations if anybody needs help when there's this heat advisory. She also would urge the public to stay inside and stay hydrated. Jackie Nestor, Assistant Director of the Planning Department, updated the Board on the County Development Ordinance. They will be holding an in-person and virtual meetings to go over the new zoning maps with residents in the county to explain what landowners can do with their property. She outlined potential safety hazards with PCBs in the limestone bedrock and informed the board that although the expected rate of PCB exposure is relatively low, further risk assessment will be needed to make an informed decision on whether or not to use the land for a park. The Board of Commissioners made a proclamation that August 26th will be recognized as Women's Equality Day. This is a proclamation for Women's Equality Day. Whereas on August 26, 1920, after decades of organizing, agitating, and demonstrating, the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution was ratified, extending the vote to women and advancing our nation's long journey toward full equality for all Americans. In 1971, Representative Bella Absug 
of New York introduced a successful bill designating August 26th of each year as Women's Equality Day. Women's Equality Day is a symbol of women's continued fight for equal rights. Today, women make up the majority of the electorate, yet across the country, women are still underrepresented in the legislative, judicial, and administrative branches of government. In corporate America, they are still underrepresented in senior management positions and on corporate boards. Even with the Equal Pay Act of 1963 and the passage of the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act of 2009, nationally women on average are paid only 82 cents for every dollar paid to men. In Indiana, women only earn 80 cents for every dollar paid to men. And the pay gap is even worse for women of color. Whereas we honor the pioneers of women's equality and reflect on the progress that has been made, we renew our commitment to securing equal rights, freedoms, and opportunities for women everywhere. Now, therefore, we, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, proclaim August 26, 2021, as Women's Equality Day. The board then opened up the floor for public comment. Citizens expressed concern over Monroe County's voting access and requested that they expand the voting board. William Jose spoke on behalf of the Black Democratic Caucus in support of expanding the voting board, explaining why it's important. I also wanted to support the county clerk's request because I believe it's imperative that the request be approved and we should do all that we can to support her efforts to ensure that we have uh, perfectly executed elections. I also feel that the assault on the democratic process will only worsen and we should make a decision to do what's best now while it's our decision to make instead of being forced to react as a result of uh, the war on voting rights. The Board of Commissioners voted 3-0, to zero, approving the funding for the Karst Farm Greenway project, which would pave a recreational trail from Ellettsville to Woodyard Road. They also approved funding of the playground surface installation to ensure a softer and safer playground surface. The Showers Building and Health Building were approved to receive funding for flooding repair after heavy rainfall on June 19th. The board also briefly discussed the future of flood damage prevention. Vice President of the board, Lee Jones, expressed concern that flood damage is costly. Well, it was a little eye-opening how much um, repairing flood damage can cost. And to think that so much of the downtown suffered this, and probably everyone has expenses similar to this. Um, It just strikes me that maybe more attention needs to be given to the possibility of flooding and what can be done in the future to prevent it. And in particular, consideration of the fact that as we put in more and more and more impervious surfaces, nothing can happen except more and more flooding. A few other small projects were approved from recycling bins to bridge renovations. The next meeting will be held on September 1st. Up next, WFHB correspondent Robert Robinson reports on the new 4th Street parking garage, which opened for use earlier this week. We turn to Robert Robinson for more. The city of Bloomington's 4th Street parking garage, completed after roughly a year of construction, opened last Monday, August 23rd. The parking garage was constructed in place of another older parking garage that was deemed structurally unsound in 2018. The garage will hold over 500 parking spaces, bicycle parking, offices, and electric vehicle charging stations. The project, 
begun in July 2020, was funded through tax increment financing. This allowed the city of Bloomington to fund the project via the sale of bonds, planning to pay off the costs in future years as the parking garage is anticipated to raise the values of surrounding properties and generate additional tax revenue. The garage is certified by ParkSmart, an agency that recognizes parking structures designed to reduce environmental impact. The 4th Street Garage is one of the first two parking garages in the state to receive the ParkSmart environmental certification. Like the other downtown parking garages, the garage is open to the public for 50 cents per hour or with a garage parking permit. In addition to the aforementioned facilities, the garage hosts city parking management offices, public restrooms, and commercial and retail spaces. An art display will also be installed on the facade in October. For WFHB, I'm Robert Robinson. Now it's time for Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County and WFHB. Today's topic is redistricting, with guests Julia Vaughn of Common Causes and Sonia Learcamp of Indiana Citizens Redistricting Commission. Listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we welcome Julia Vaughn of Common Cause and Sonia Learcamp, who is chair of the Indiana Citizens Redistricting Commission. And they're gonna to talk to us about current redistricting efforts. Sonia and Julia, thanks both of you very much for being here today. It's so thanks timely, for having us. so very timely. First of all, we've all been wondering for a long time about these new census data and their implications for Indiana. What are your impressions? And I'd like comments from both of you. Sure, Jim, I, you know, I think the census data really told us what it's been telling us for the past couple of decades. Uh, Indiana's rural communities are getting smaller. Uh, our urban centers are getting bigger. We're definitely seeing a transition from a state where at one time we had most of our folks living in the rural areas uh, to the opposite of that. Most Hoosiers now live in an urban center or the suburban areas immediately around it. So it's a challenge when you're drawing political districts because of course you've got to equalize the population of all districts and Indiana's population is not at all evenly distributed around our state. So nothing too surprising with the census numbers, but I'm certainly glad they're here so we can get the redistricting process started. Sonia, would you have a different take on that or do you agree with Julia there? I, for the most part, agree with Julia. And um, I think that the legislators um, are going to need to pay attention to the growing urban influence um, that people have. I was 
delighted to see that we didn't significantly decline or lose representation in in Washington. So um, anyway, um, yeah, for the most part, I, I agree with Julia, though. Okay, thank you. Um, an organization called Women for Change, as I'm sure you know, caused quite a stir in our chase state recently with the release of a study on gerrymandering. Now, this study identified Indiana as one of the most gerrymandered states in the nation. Can you tell us how our legislators have reacted to this study and how have our voters reacted? Again, I'd like comment from both of you. Well, in terms of legislative reaction, I think it depends on what party the legislator belongs to. Certainly, Democrats have taken the Warshaw study, Dr. Warshaw, is the academic who performed the study for Women for Change. And it certainly reinforced what they felt for the past decade, that the very partisan gerrymandering that happened in 2011 has significantly impacted election results in our state. Uh, we haven't heard much at all from Republicans. They certainly haven't had any defense against the claims made by Dr. Warshaw. And I think among the public, it, it again reinforces what many of us have known. Uh, one party control of the legislature back in 2011 meant that the maps that were drawn for Congress and state legislature have heavily favored Republican candidates. So um, the Warshaw study, I think, provides some good ammunition uh, to uh, fight against partisan gerrymandering this time, but it certainly wasn't a surprise. We, we've certainly recognized the impact of gerrymandering on our state, and Warshaw's study just shows how, how impactful it's been. And Sonia, are you familiar with that study? Would you like to comment on it? I am familiar with that study and um, actually put out... Um, a letter that was put into several different newspapers about that study. And I think that the reaction that I got uh, from individuals who read the article was, you know, I had a feeling there was something wrong, but they didn't realize that it was quite so dramatic. Because when you just look at the maps, you don't see those salamander type districts. And so you, you just wonder what's going on. But then uh, the article just really pointed out the impact of past redistricting and what it's having on Indiana. Indeed, it did. Now, the legislature conducted some public meetings about redistricting. My wife and I attended the one in Columbus, and voters there really sounded off while the legislators sat just as silent as the tomb. Do you think that this study might influence our redistricting efforts? I will just tell you from the ones that I attended, I was also at Columbus and I also went to Evansville and to Sellersburg. And I think the thing, uh, although I was disappointed in the legislators for not taking questions, and I did point out to them when I had a chance to speak, that that was the difference between their forums and the ICRC forums was that we took questions from all comers. And uh, attempted to answer them as best we could and that they should model that as well. Um, but I, I really appreciated how passionate people were about the issue and were not hesitant about saying so. I would agree, you know, I, this is my third round of redistricting and I can do that the crowds were much larger this year 
than they were 10 years ago. And the level of public testimony is so much better. I mean, our coalition has worked very hard over the past decade to educate Hoosiers about this issue and how important it is and how much it does impact our government at both the federal and state level. So I hope the legislature is going to listen because the public is certainly providing a lot of valuable information. And if they take that information and apply it to their map drawing, we'll have better political districts in Indiana. Amen to that too. Let's talk about some other public hearings that have been going on. We've seen a lot of publicity about other public hearings in our nine congressional districts. And they were conducted by uh, your organization, Sonia, ICRC, with the purpose of sparking freewheeling discussions of ways of drawing the new maps. Now, in these meetings, what types of responses did you see from the citizens? Um, the citizens are very interested in having districts drawn that will encourage competition um, and unite communities of interest. Those are the two things that they believe will help them get uh, voters to turn out and also to get legislators to respond to what they want their communities to look like. Julia? You know, and we heard just story after story from places like Fort Wayne, like Bloomington, like Evansville, like Greencastle, where communities are just divided illogically into far more districts than would be necessary given their population. So, you know, folks have pointed out some very real problems at the neighborhood level that are caused by these gerrymandered districts. So I really hope the legislature, you know, we compiled all of the information that we got from our public hearings into a report and delivered it to the legislature, including this testimony about how the lines, current lines really divide communities. So again, we hope that the legislature will use this as a resource and correct the problems, move those lines, so that communities won't be divided for another 10 years. Okay, now let's expand the picture just a little bit. Do you think that voters understand how much redistricting really means, and not just for fair elections, but for the very existence of our representative government? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we heard in our meetings and I attended five of the legislative public hearings and it came up again and again. People are pleading with our legislature to not gerrymander because they feel that the future of the democratic process is at stake. And they're right. If we continue to have another decade of uncompetitive elections, we are going to continue to have some of the lowest voter turnout in the country. And we aren't going to get our ship going the right direction with uh, you know, 25% of the electorate participating. So folks recognize Hoosiers absolutely understand that the future of representative government is on the line and that fair maps are the best way to inject some vigor into democracy in Indiana. So absolutely they get it. I hope the legislature gets it as well. What about you, Sonia? Do you agree with that? 
I do. And although I don't have a um, platform as big as Julia's, I know that in my community, I have participated in, um, in talking with people at the fair and at the uh, farmer's market where we have set up booths to educate people and they come up and they know already what's going on. They want to sign the petition. They want to know how they can help to get the legislators attention. So I feel it at, at the very ground level that people understand. All right, now for the payoff. Do you think that these meetings conducted by the legislature have had any impact on the legislature? Well, some of them certainly. You know, there are there are some folks who who aren't listening, but there are some who are. You know, uh, very nearby to Bloomington, a legislator, state senator who represents the Columbus area, Greg Walker. I had the opportunity to chat with him after the hearing in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago, and I can tell you that Senator Walker shares our concern about the future of democracy and understands how gerrymandering is undermining it. So I think there are others who are hearing our message. You know, the challenge is that redistricting is a very top-down thing. And I think that's why we're not hearing a lot of legislators saying anything publicly about it. They really kind of have to watch what they say because they can get in trouble with leadership if they get out of line. So I think we just have to continue to mount the public pressure and remind legislators that there's a lot on the line here. And I think we will ultimately have an impact. Very excited about our public mapping competition, because that's going to be a, a very important tool to hold them accountable. You know, we'll have an alternative set of maps that we can point to and ask very pointed questions about why they chose to draw the lines where they did. So I'm always optimistic and we're going to be in there fighting to make sure that voters can make their voices heard in this issue. All right. Now, this one is for both of you also. I'm wondering if all of this experience that you both have had has shaped your present notion of the right way to draw these maps. How do you think we should handle this crucial job in our state? Well, I, I just continue to be convinced that it is absolutely wrong to put legislators in charge of redistricting. It's just like allowing them to choose their voters instead of allowing voters to choose their representatives. I think we are going to be able to come back next year at the Indiana General Assembly and make a very strong case for legislation to pass a Citizens Redistricting Commission, because I can tell you um, I'd much rather see someone like Sonia Learcamp in charge of this process uh, than one of our elected legislators. They simply have a conflict of interest, and it's very difficult for them to do it fairly. Indeed. Sonia, what do you say? Well, um, this whole process has been very exciting for me to be involved at this level with such a fundamental right and I think, um, first of all, one of the main hurdles uh, and things that we've tried to emphasize is the fact that uh, voters' rights needs to be a nonpartisan issue. It needs to be both parties um, engaged in maximizing every single voter's power as a voter. And being able to see individuals grasp that 
And now I am so looking forward to seeing these maps that are going to be produced and be able to show the legislators how maps should be properly drawn is just the icing on the cake for me. I think that they're going to see that involving people in this process is where everyone then is invested in making our democracy work. So um, again, I'm just very excited that I've been able to be a part of this. Very good. Uh, finally, to be a little bit repetitive maybe, one final question. Do you think that legislators will actually listen and take in all the information that's been generated by all these efforts? Will it really make a difference? What do you think, truly? Well, you know, I work for Common Cause, so I am genetically predisposed to be eternally optimistic when it comes to citizens putting pressure on their legislators. We've come a long way. We've already made an impact on the process, so we just have to keep it up. I am optimistic that because of citizen pressure, we're going to get better maps than we would uh, if we haven't mounted this significant fight. So I do. I, um, I agree with Julia, and I just think that even though, as she mentioned earlier, this is a top-down process and people are very careful with their words, I do believe that they are listening. I think in their hearts, they know what the right thing is to do and that it's going to guide them um, in not only the process this year, but looking towards the future. I'm very hopeful. Sonia and Julia, thank you so much for being here today. And thank thanks, to our listening, thanks to our listening audience for listening to us on Civic Conversations. Again, this is Jim Allison of the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, join us when we talk with Carrie Mixa about public education.